What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Your Village podcast, Parenting Beyond Discipline. Your Village is the most comprehensive site for evidence-based parenting classes available on demand at yourvillageonline.com. Our 50-plus classes give parents the foundation, steps, and tools for creating strong, healthy relationships with their children, resulting in responsible, cooperative, happy, and successful children and families. My goal is to help parents support their children in finding and reaching their own unique potential. The podcast is a place to learn about all things parenting and get your questions answered. I'm your village founder and your host, Erin Royer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the best of New Year's resolutions in parenting episode. I've curated three of my favorite New Year's parenting resolutions episodes and pulled out the best parts of each of them to create this one episode. In part one, I share the most common parenting resolutions and some tips for getting you started on those. In part two, I talk about six key strategies for making changes that stick. And in part three are the highlights from the episode on toy decluttering, an interview I did with Katie Joy Wells, who shared some amazing tips for not just organizing, but for organizing and displaying toys in ways that naturally invite children to go deeper in their play, which means they play for longer stretches, which we all love. I'm going to get into all that in a moment. I wanted to make an announcement that the new site is up. The new programs are up. I know I talked about that in the last episode, but I wanted to share that again because my mini membership is called the Successful Parenting Playbook. It's an eight class series that has all the foundational courses, intro to discipline, a deep dive into parenting goals and how and what goals to set by age to make sure they are learning skills that match with their current development. So you're setting goals that are going along with their development and they are unfolding as they develop. It's really awesome. Gives tips and strategies for getting started on each of those areas, a deep dive into traditional and modern parenting styles and their outcomes and four positive discipline tools classes. These classes are um, a good like hour and 20 minutes some of them like two hours long, each one divided by age, toddlers, preschoolers, kids five to 10 and adolescents go into great detail on adolescents and all the areas that parents can struggle with adolescents and how to manage each of those areas with positive, connected, intentional discipline that helps you become a team and a support for your adolescent as well as my very highly rated temperament class to learn how to support and guide your child based on their unique temperament. You get all these classes for $7. So it's a really great deal, great foundational classes to get you started. 
But if you're like, 2024 is my year, I'm ready to dive in full on, change my connection, change the way I parent, my discipline, the bedtimes, the picky eating, the self-esteem issues, fix issues with anger and aggression, fears and anxieties, social skills, problems at school, you name it. I have classes for all that. Plus, this higher tier membership comes with live coaching calls with me to address any issues you're having and you need some extra guidance. So these are nice, small groups. I want to keep them small. Last week, we had three parents, well, my, and then myself, so four parents, <laughs> and they each got 20 minutes with me. The Thriving Families Framework is open now through Sunday, December 31st at 5 p.m. Pacific time in the U.S. So if you're in Australia, for instance, that's probably somewhere around Monday morning for you. I open these up for just a few days at a time, a few times a year so that I can manage these groups and make sure that we are scheduling the coaching calls often enough to keep them nice and small so everyone who needs help can get what they need. To join either of these, you can go to the homepage at yourvillageonline.com. You'll see the link to the programs right at the top. If you click that, it'll take you right down or you can just scroll down and you'll see them down there. So come join us. Look forward to seeing you in our parenting community online. Okay, on to part one of our special compilation episode. So one of the biggest parenting resolutions I see is a commitment to peaceful parenting. This is a resolution to stop or minimize or reduce the yelling. So let's go over some tips for this. Now, the first thing I'm going to say is that to make sure you're taking care of yourself. I know I've talked about this in a lot of other episodes, and as a matter of fact, I have an entire class dedicated to this exact topic, which is Peaceful Parenting Part 1. I talk all about the eight different ways to take care of yourself, but this is so important because if you're too tired and too stressed out, it just leaves us open to lose our patience much easier. We don't have the mindset to be calm and patient when we're stressed and we're burned out. So if this is a struggle for you, this should be a very first resolution to figure out how you're going to take care of yourself, to get yourself feeling healthier, more energized, to get enough sleep at night. Wherever you feel like you're falling short, that's the place to start. Now first, knowing why peaceful parenting is so important can many times be enough to empower ourselves to dial down the reaction a few notches. Firstly, it sets a positive example to our kids for dealing with conflict and negative emotions, which builds their emotional intelligence. It strengthens rather than weakens the relationship and therefore a parent's influence. It builds respect and maintains respect of the child for the parent, also affecting parental influence. In the teenage years, when our kids are gaining freedom, this influence will be of the utmost importance. Now, anger and frustration are normal emotions. Showing them is normal and can be done in healthy ways. Kids need to learn healthy ways of dealing with these difficult emotions, and they learn that from us. It's normal to be angry in parenting, and kids benefit from seeing us express these emotions. However, it's important to keep your display of anger short, at moderate levels, and have a resolution. Now, coming to a resolution means you want to reconnect after you share your anger, hurt, or frustration. You want to apologize and explain. Explain that you were angry, but that you are calm and that you still love your child, even when you are upset. Studies show that parents who apologize and explain after a display of anger have children with higher emotional intelligence. 
Also, knowing what to do in situations will greatly reduce frustration. You want to have a plan. This means you can move into action. Rather than flailing around and grasping at something or throwing out empty threats and just hoping it will work. You want to set realistic expectations by keeping in mind that the parent-child relationship is a very close and intimate one. We have a lot invested in our children, a lot of hope and expectations and time and energy. We also are very busy and can just get stressed, so emotions are going to run high at times. This is all normal. You want to set a goal to commit to calm as much as possible. Although it's normal to lose your cool from time to time, this should be the goal to shoot for. Children need calm parents, especially in times of stress, like a death in the family, a move, divorce, illness, etc. They need someone in control. You are the one they are looking to for guidance and support. Sometimes being the adult sucks. It's a tough job, but we need to be the rock for our kids. Find someone else you can fall apart with when you need to, a close friend, a family member, or a partner. Learn about and consider the realistic developmental expectations of the child. Most parents expect their children to be further along than they are, particularly emotionally. So learning some basic child development can be very helpful so that you're not continuing to lose your cool over behavior that is actually considered age appropriate because you're expecting too much for your child's age. And lastly, you want to get proactive, especially with repeat behaviors. Make a list of behaviors you see repeated in your home that you want to fix. Is it clean up before dinner time, getting ready for school on time in the morning, struggles at bedtime? If you're seeing repeated behaviors, then whatever you're currently doing is not working. So you need to change your behavior to change the outcome. Now in the class on peaceful parenting part two, there are lots of worksheets to work on these and other types of things, but you can do this piece by simply writing out the behavior that you're seeing repeated, write out what you're currently doing, and then come up with a list of better alternatives and commit to trying each one of those and using those for at least two weeks. So for a couple of examples, the first one is super simple, but sometimes the answers are really simple. So let's say baby keeps trying to climb down the stairs in the morning while you're trying to get ready for work. Instead of constantly chasing baby away from the stairs, simply get a baby gate to put it up at the top of the stairs. Now, not all our parenting issues are that simple. If you have issues with your kids getting ready in the morning, come up with a list of options to address it, such as Move getting dressed first before breakfast, meaning no breakfast until you're dressed. You could build in an extra 10 minutes for buffer or for playtime as part of the morning routine. You could use a positive logical consequence of having 10 minutes of playtime with a favorite toy or game if he gets dressed and eats breakfast in a timely manner. You also could work on getting more intentional with your directions if you're having issues with your kids not following through right away. Now, this means touching your child on the shoulder, making eye contact when you give an instruction. This lets your child know you are serious and you expect her to follow through. You want to stay engaged with your child until he or she is actually doing the task. You ask your child to get their shoes on, you're going to go over touch him or her on the shoulder, say, I need you to get your shoes on now, please. Do not turn around and walk away. Stay with your child. Make sure they walk to the room and get their shoes on. You can do this for several days to a week. 
And then you can back away from staying so engaged and so on top of the activity because this will become the new normal and your child will know that when you say to do something that you expect him or her to go do it. But yelling across the room five times is never effective. It just says, ignore me until I get really mad. It teaches our kids to actually ignore us. So you can change that around by becoming more intentional. I decided to share some tips that can be parenting related, but don't have to be. And those tips are on making lasting change. Now I'm constantly working on self-improvement. Who do I want to be next month, next year, in five or 10 years? How am I going to get there? That's the bigger question, right? So I've had a lot of practice and truth be told, change is hard. It takes a lot of commitment effort, and consistency to make new habits stick until they become our new normal. So I wanted to share some words of wisdom on six tips that have helped me to make lasting change and create those new habits. In these days of contemplating change, whether it's around parenting or anything else, what we want to change, and just as importantly, how we're going to make it stick. So here are some words of advice to follow. Tip one for lasting change. Make sure it's for you. Any change that isn't deeply meaningful to you will fail. If you're changing to win approval of family, your partner, or anyone else, your boss, your coworkers, your friends, it won't last. It must come from within. So you want to ask yourself why you want this change and make sure that the answer is initially about you, which leads to my next tip. Your whys have to be bigger than your excuses. We will constantly come up with excuses about why not to change. I'm tired. Everyone's on my nerves. It's too cold. It's too hot. I'll start tomorrow. I don't know how to get started. The list goes on and on. Change is hard. So the whys had better be compelling. Now, I know this is really cliche, but I want to use the example of weight loss just simply because This is a goal that is pretty easily measurable. So your reasons for weight loss could be many, but it could be to set a healthy example for your kids, that you're tired of feeling tired, that you want to feel confident in your own body. Whatever it is, you have to know the reasons and really want them. When it comes to parenting, it may be that you want better relationships with your kids than you had or have with your parents. You imagine your current and future relationships with them full of connection and respect. You want to have influence in their lives because they respect you and they respect you because you show them positive examples of how to discuss conflict, how to stay calm in the face of struggle, or how to communicate effectively and share what you need and want effectively, that how to say you're sorry and mean it. These are all big reasons, and if they're deep and meaningful to you, are going to really help propel you forward in your goals. Tip number three is be reasonable. Now, what this means is don't bite off too much at once. If your current habits have become so ingrained, such as yelling when your kids don't do what you ask, allowing your toddler to rule bedtimes, unhealthy habits with nutrition, sleep, exercise, or stress, it's going to take some time and some patience. You aren't going to be 20 pounds lighter next week. The most patient parent ever, whose child goes right to bed without a struggle the minute you snap your fingers and decide you want life to be different. So be patient. 
Choose an area or two to tackle and choose one or two habits to change in those areas. Get those new habits down well for two to three weeks before adding another change. So if you want to stay more calm in your parenting, first pinpoint the times of day or exchanges that are the biggest struggles. Pick two habits or tools you're going to work on changing or implementing and really focus on those. So when parents take my positive discipline classes, I tell them, not to change all the habits at once. It's too much and you get lost in it all and overwhelmed and pretty soon you realize you aren't changing anything. So pick two new techniques and focus on those. The other way is to choose one issue to tackle and just get that under control first before going on to the next one. When parents come to me for coaching, There is often a whole list of behaviors they want to change, but we have to start with one or two. If this is your approach, start with the one that will relieve the most stress or free up some time for you, which will get you into a positive cycle or a more positive cycle. So if bedtimes are a nightmare and you're spending an hour or more struggling to get kids in bed, you may want to start with this. Parents need and deserve their own time in the evenings. Tip number four for long-term change. Remember to give credit. It's common to be too hard on ourselves. Now, I'm not saying give yourself a continual pass for not performing. Like every day you don't get up and go to the gym. You don't get to give yourself a pass for that. There's no credit there. But sometimes we've made strides and we fail to see it or we fail to give it enough credit. I've had parents not realize how much better they have done or how much their child's behavior has improved until they look back at an original email to me with all their struggles or they go back and listen to a podcast podcast where their question was answered and all of a sudden they realize how far they've come. Small changes over time add up and we just don't always see it when we're mired in the day to day. Tip number five, and this is kind of a flip side of number four or kind of another angle of number four, but you also need to be honest with yourself about your effort. It's important to be able to honestly assess your effort, meaning Are you really implementing your effort and your new habits fully and consistently? I remember when I was trying to lose weight and it just wasn't coming off. I was so frustrated. I thought I was working really hard. Now, I was working out a lot. I'm great at that piece of it. And I thought I wasn't eating that much. But once I got a points-based app where my food is based on points and I would enter it into the app, I realized I was eating way more than I thought it was, way more than I should have been in order to lose weight. Once I used the app consistently and stuck within my points, and that's not easy, by the way, the weight came off pretty quickly. So if you're struggling with bedtimes, are you being consistent every night, consistent with every return to bed in order to fix the behavior? Or have you let behavior slide on some evenings when you're tired or lost your cool on the 10th time your toddler got out of bed, giving a payoff for the behavior? Consistent, solid effort in any goal does pay off. Now, my tip number six is you want to reassess every few weeks. If you're putting in a solid, consistent effort and are truly not seeing any change or seeing very little, it's time to problem solve. What can you do differently? What other efforts can you apply to the situation in addition to what you're already doing? Or how can you approach the issue from a completely different angle for a better result? You want to problem solve that. Hey, Parenting Beyond Discipline listeners. 
Ready to create a home that fosters love, warmth, and style? Look no further than HomeThreads, your partner in crafting a nurturing environment. At HomeThreads.com, explore a thoughtfully curated collection of furniture designed for families who believe in positive parenting. From cozy reading nooks to durable playroom essentials, our pieces are crafted to enhance your parenting journey. HomeThreads has an incredible selection of furniture, decor, and accessories like throw pillows, blankets to snuggle under for family movie nights, or reading time that helps you create the warm, cozy home that is the foundation for happy family memories. I love all the great pieces I've gotten from Home Threads to finish the look in my home. Gorgeous yet durable and cozy accent throw pillows, blankets, and some really cute wall decor. I have an ocean theme throughout my downstairs, so I got a couple of really great wall pieces to finish that look. And some picture frames for the family photos. Visit homethreads.com parenting today and get a code for 15% off your order. That's homethreads.com parenting parenting to get your code for 15% off your order because great parenting deserves a great home. Home threads, love where you live. To me, there is nothing more important than my family's health and well-being. We all know the quality of the air in our home is important, but did you know indoor air quality can be up to a hundred times dirtier than outdoor air? I've got to tell you about Puro Air. In 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases from the room. Puro Air uses a stronger filter called a HEPA-14 that filters pollutants at a microscopic level and is backed by scientists from Harvard and MIT. In laboratory studies, users saw noticeably cleaner air in just 30 minutes. When it comes to babies and children, there's nothing worse than dealing with a cranky baby or child who can't sleep because of congestion. Air purifiers can help reduce congestion and improve immune system function to fight those winter colds and flus. I use my Puro Air purifiers to clean the air in my home, especially in our bedrooms while we sleep. It has a quiet, relaxing hum and cleans the air from pet dander, allergens, viruses, dust, mold, odors, and contaminants. It has four levels, low, medium, high, and sleep and four different timer options so you can customize it to your home and your needs. Check out Puro Air at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. Puro Air is the only air filter that uses a HEPA-14 filter. That's getpuroair.com. So Katie Wells, thank you for coming on the show and welcome. And I'm so excited to talk today about toy decluttering, the, your four-step process for helping parents cure toy clutter. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited. We're talking all of things clutter, specifically toy clutter, because the holidays have happened for so many people. <laughs> and come January 1st, I remember the feeling of just looking around my living room and going, the toys have completely taken over my house. So let's talk, let's talk toy clutter. Yes. Cause I know, you know, as a parent who teaches parenting, like one of those things about being a more peaceful parent is not having to deal with all the clutter, knowing where your stuff is being able to find mm -hmm. things because it makes, you know, just the whole process more peaceful, more calming. So this is a great topic going into the new year. It's so true. And one thing I just want to share too, is that it's such a good reminder. I'm always reminding myself of this too. Our environments influence our actions. And so a lot of us, like when we're looking for parenting research, like your podcast or anything out there, it's like, okay, I get it. But then for some reason, 
we think clutter doesn't impact our kids, but their environments also influence their actions just like it does ours. So help us out with this toy clutter. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay. So I want to start before we get into like the tactical stuff. One thing I just like throwing out there because this is something that really slowed me down in my decluttering journey, specifically with toys, was that we can declutter, we can get the best checklist, we can have the most organized, beautiful play space in the world for our kids. But ultimately, at the end of the day, Erin, if we still believe that more is better and that our kids are going to have a happier childhood if they have more toys or that our kids are going to feel more loved if we can give them more and more and more all the time for the holidays or for their birthdays, then that's always going to impact how far we go in our simplifying journey. And it doesn't matter how much we get rid of if we don't work and focus and put some intention and attention on the influx and how stuff comes into our home. So obviously I know we just had the holidays, but for birthdays or graduations or upcoming holidays, I'd highly encourage your listeners to just start considering some gift giving boundaries with loved ones. I do want to share with that also because research does show that too many toys actually impacts children's ability to learn and play with those toys. Absolutely. So if they have too much, it's too overwhelming and they don't go deep with their toys. So actually having like two to three main toys at a time and rotating those out is really helpful to their developmental process, their learning, because they go deep with those toys. They go deep into their imagination. So it actually is better for them developmentally as well. So when you need that time, to yourself, maybe clearing out some of those toys and leaving just a few out at a time, three to four that are just main toys, clearing some of that out, even rotating them later will come fresh and will help the children go longer without needing our intervention. And what am I playing with? And I'm bored. (laughs) Yes. That's a, that's like my, always been my cue to go, okay, I need to do toy rotation. And so that's (laughs) when I'll bring out, that's like my secret weapon. Like, okay, I'm going to go get a couple toys that I know they love. They've been put away for, you know, two, three, four weeks. And then it's like the holiday. It's like Christmas morning again. It's brand new. It is. It's amazing. All these different nuances And the way we set up these environments for a kid really do make a big impact and not only their behavior, but their attitude, their ability to play. And it's just really joyful to be able to see your kids not have a ton of stuff, but just thrive. Very true. All right. So let's get to your first step. Yes. Number one, I, we always need to start with decluttering. This is a classic mistake I've seen, I've seen with myself years ago and with my students too, they'll be like, Katie, I've, or they start with organization. They go out to Target and get really cute new bins, or they, you know, see some picture on Pinterest that it's like, oh, I want that play space. It's beautiful. Maybe kind of Montessori style or open shelves. Like, oh, it's so beautiful. Like I just need more organization bins and that will solve the constant toy mess. Um, But truly we need to step, we need to cut through the clutter. Like there's no point in organizing the excess stuff because it's still not going to help our kids thrive in that environment. They're still going to be overwhelmed. Um, They're still going to often resist picking up simply because there's too much. It's overwhelming. And so start with decluttering the low hanging fruit, the easy stuff, like the broken toys, the coloring books that are finished, the half melted. It's like, I don't even know how crayons melt, but I (laughs) would find like melted crayon. Like, okay, I'm not going to ask questions. I'm just going to get rid of this, you know, (laughs) Um, just the easy stuff. And you can do that in quick you know, grab like a trash bag, like 10, 15 minute purges and quick edits. It doesn't have to be this whole ordeal, which I think a lot of parents are like, I don't have two hours to dedicate right now to do this. I'm like, 
that's fine. I didn't either do five, 10 and all that. It adds up because every single time you get rid of something, that's a vote for, you know, more simplicity and play space that your child can thrive in. So always start with decluttering. And are you ready for number two? I'm ready for number two. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Then, then we can go into organizing and one kind of note here on organizing is again, with the, what we talked about earlier and our environments influencing our actions, really simple nuances, like how we set up the play space can really impact the way our child plays. So here's a great example. I used to have clothes. I used, I, I still do. I have the six like cube cubby shelf. It was like from Home Depot. Do you know what I mean? Like the cubbies. Yes. <laughs> and then it comes with like the 12 by 12 inch cube that you kind of slide in and out. And so I had six of those. And so when my kids were in the living room, and everything was put away, they couldn't see any of their toys. And so what I did was I got rid of the closed bins and I opt, I got these really cheap open bins and some, and some of the bins I just got rid of and I would just put their magnetiles or one of their toys on the shelf so they could see it. And what that does is it helps invite your child to play with their toys. My four-year-old before this, he is not so much a self-starter, even when it comes to play, Uh, And I'm like, thank goodness you have a brother that can help you there. But like, I would have to be like, walk him over to the bins, open them up and go, well, let's, let's look at our choices. And so that's all I had to do. And he would immediately go to the play space in the morning and start getting to work and playing and doing what kids are meant to do using his imagination more. So decluttering. So let's say, you know, we're taking 15 minutes, a couple times a week to go through and we're going to get rid of the stuff that's obviously it needs to go. So we're getting rid of broken toys, we're getting rid of crayons, we're getting rid of, you know, the pieces of paper that have been ripped or, you know, the the books and stuff. But beyond that, is there like a second step, like toys that they're outgrowing or that they've outgrown or that they haven't touched in a while? Do you have a, yes, like a level two for that? Absolutely. Phase two is definitely like assess what's left for most people. That tends to be gifts. Maybe there's some type of sentimentality or obligation to keep, or it's like, wow, this is like maybe a great open-ended toy and maybe my child will grow into it. Do I hang on to it? Kind of like the tougher stuff where there's more like monetary value attached to that toy. There's some type of potential. I'm not a huge fan of non-open-ended toys. So that's something that is typically we can handle in that phase too. Maybe, and not always, but usually those are battery operated toys. Remember the more that the toy does, the less your child is able to play with it, right? If there's a yeah. fire truck that has batteries and it makes the noise and you drive the, the truck and then the batteries die. It's like your child, I've seen this firsthand, like doesn't know how to use it anymore. And so not that you need to replace all battery operated toys, but um, one thing I did in kind of this to transition was I just let the batteries die and I didn't replace them. <laughs> and then I'd have to say things to prompt my child. Cause again, they're used to the toy entertaining them at yeah. that point. And I'd have to go, Oh, Levi, what would happen if you made the noise? And he'd go, Oh, I didn't think about using it that way. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you can see their wheels spinning. And then what would happen if, you know, they were, you know, we're playing imaginary play. What would happen if you needed to put out a fire up on that hill and he'd start driving the truck and then then 30 minutes later, he'd still be playing. And with this truck that had made no noise and didn't move, and which really takes us to step three is how do I know if you haven't been around your children while they've been playing, this is really where you need to cue in and know their interests. Like what 
toys are your kids interested in playing with? And um, maybe you have some great open-ended toys, some wooden blocks that they just haven't played with because there's been too much. So pull those out, take them out of rotation, pull them back in four weeks. If you do that a couple times and they still show no interest, that's my cue. Even though it might be a great toy, your kids aren't interested in it. So that's your opportunity for you know, I guess in our minds, it's going to tip you more into logic. Like, okay, I feel at peace letting this go because it's just not for my kids right now. A couple of things you said in there that were really great, really important is I love that I call them educational toys, which not to make them sound boring because they're not, <laughs> or they're, yeah, no, they're not like shoving that education, but um, educational toys are those ones that kids can play open-endedly with mm-hmm. and they can play with them usually a lot longer, um, in each play period, but also a lot, a lot later, a lot longer over years. So like, yes. block, you know, the wooden blocks tend to be a really great toy because yeah. they'll use them from two to five, six, seven. I mean, they're, you know, making, you know, little towns and stuff. And then they just get more complicated with their play and they'll bring them into other types of toys. And, we had some just regular wooden blocks. And then when they're five and six and seven, they're building castles and all kinds of very advanced creative types of things. And so just like you said, is exactly what I've always said to my parents as well is the less the toy does, the more the child will do, the more their imagination that they will invoke, the longer they'll be able to play with the toys. And also when you were talking about putting things out on the shelf where Mm. it invites the child to play. It really is. It's very inviting when they see it sitting there. If it's in a toy box, you got a bunch of stuff just thrown in there and they have to go in and dig for stuff. It's too overwhelming again, and they can't find what they're looking for. And so they kind of give up a lot easier or they play shorter. Um, But if you have it out, then that just invites them to play with whatever is sitting out, especially if you're rotating and they haven't seen it in three weeks or a month. And they're like, Oh my gosh, I forgot about that. And all of a sudden they're playing with this toy again. (laughs) Exactly. Out and undone. So some toys like, let's just use a puzzle for an example. Uh, You know, maybe your four-year-old is really obsessed with puzzles. So what I used to do is be like, okay, great, Levi, let's go put your puzzle back. And then I would have them break it apart and put that puzzle undone back onto the shelf. Because if you put the puzzle that's completely done onto the shelf, I can promise you do this as an experiment. My for Levi, when I did that, would not, wouldn't do, wouldn't go play with it because it, it's like, it's already, well, done. it's already done. I don't, I'm done. Like I'm wiping my hands. I'm going to move on to something different. Obviously I know a lot of kids just get really into like their towers. And I wasn't like, knock your tower down because it needs to be undone. Like, you know, if it needs to stay the cool high tower needs to stay up for a few days, that's fine with me. But majority of toys, if you can, you know, encourage your child to put them away and leave it undone. All right. And what is step four? Step four is so often overlooked. So again, try and do some toy rotation. Let me give you some quick tips on toy rotation. I love toy rotation because I mean, there's so many benefits for kids and parents alike. I think for parents, we talked a lot about kids so far, but for parents, simplifying the toy means a lot of us means less stress, being less triggered by toy masks. I used to battle with my kids when they were very little to try and get them to pick up toys. And so ultimately it ended up falling on my shoulder every single time when really it was just too much for my two-year-old to pick up. And so, but I did, I became resentful every single day. I'm like, oh, all these toys and it falls on me. This is so unfair. And so by simplifying your toys and doing tour rotation and decluttering, uh, guess what? he started picking up after himself and like happily picking up after himself. It's much easier to pick up 
remember to just do regular edits. And maybe that means getting your kids involved. Maybe it doesn't. It really depends on your parenting perspective and approach in your kids' personality and their age. But doing regular edits because toy clutter specifically really sneaks into the house, whether that's, you know, holiday gift bags from school, party favors and birthday gift bags from yes. birthday parties where kids <laughs> were at, church goodies. I mean, fast food, wherever all these things start to creep in. Maybe in the beginning, that's just scheduling 10 minutes a month or 10 minutes every two weeks. I would do at minimum once a month. And I would sit next to my kids while they played and they would have no idea. They've never looked at me and been like, hey, what are you doing? Because I know a lot of parents are like, I have a kid who won't get rid of anything. And, um, and I know that's difficult because my six-year-old is very much like that, but I would just sit next to them and they liked having me there. Like, you know, I think all kids want their parents nearby. That's why they like bring their toys to play near us in the kitchen or whatever. (laughs) And I'd sit on the floor and just, you know, get rid of little handfuls of clutter, toy clutter that came in over time. And it just kept everything simple and it prevented the overwhelm. There's nothing better to than watching your kids just having these deep, imaginative, meaningful play, quality play for long periods of time so we can get stuff done. (laughs) And, uh, and then they pick up after themselves. So if that's not motivating to you know, your listeners to declutter. I don't know what will, but your kids will more likely be on board with picking up. The rotation process. So if you have some tips about that, like I used to keep a, like a bin in the garage that, you know, I would just, that was kind of the spot for the toys that were out of rotation. But do you have other tips or other ideas that you want to Yeah. Toy rotation tips. Number one, just remember to, here's probably the most important thing that it took me a long time to figure out is when I did my toy rotations, I would completely take everything out of their play space. So I probably had about 12 different toys out initially. I think the average play space has around like a hundred types of toys. Um, and wow. I'm not mean, that's not like Lego pieces. That's like one set of light, like like all your Legos are one toy. And we had a lot. So to go from like a hundred to 12 was like, that was a good start for me. And so what I did was I would take all 12 of those toys, Aaron, and I'd bring 12 new toys out. The issue was I took away a few of my kids' favorite toys, magnetiles and dress up clothes are like a fan favorite and have always been a fan favorite in my house. And it caused major, like, especially with my eldest, who was probably four at the time, like anxiety. Cause I was, it, he was, he was like, mom, where, where are my dress up clothes? Where are my magnetiles? Those were his favorite things. And so when you do toy rotation, leave at least one to two fan favorites, the stuff that you're like the toys, your kids play with every single day, leave those out. Cause it gives them some sense of control and stability in their play space environment. And then you rotate the rest and then don't stick to any rigid rules. Here's what I did. I read like a blog post and they're like, rotate every week, but instead I started to just pay attention to my kids' cues. So I have two boys. When they started to get a little rough with each other, <laughs> more so than normal, and like even fight a little more, I, that was a red, that was a flag, red flag for me to oh, okay, I need to get some new toys in here because what what's happening right now I don't like. <laughs> or mom, I'm bored, right? Another red flag. Okay, let's bring some toys and in, in, new toys into the mix. Uh, and the other thing is just trying to make sure you have different types of toys available that help with different developmental processes, you know, like the dress up clothes help with 
different development aspects than like building blocks would. And so just, you know, give your child op- an, an opportunity with toy rotation to see if they start to gravitate towards these different types of toys. And yeah, those would be, I guess, some of the top tips off the top of my head for toy rotation. That's great. I love that. And, you know, my kids loved, uh, well, all that stuff too. The magnet tiles were big for us. The wooden blocks mm-hmm. were big, but dress up was huge in our house. And I remember that dress up closet getting very overwhelming. And so, you know, just rotating out the different dress ups. So always yeah. leaving some stuff in there that they would have, but this way they only have like four or five things to choose from and not like this ridiculous. <laughs> we yes. have the policeman costumes, and the fireman <laughs> costumes and the astronaut and the princesses and the fairies and it just you know and then all the accessories that go with it all and I'm just like it'd be this heap on the floor and I'd be like oh my gosh nobody's gonna find anything in here they my kids would just avoid that space in general because it's like I I don't even want to deal with that I I mean I'm sure there's stuff to play with in there and so one idea if you have listeners who are like yeah I have like a hundred types of dress-up toys is just slowly or maybe quickly start to wean some out. And then guess what? My kids, I I ended up with just a fireman and policeman costume for them. But if they wanted to pretend to be a construction worker, they would, after a while, they would just slap on any costume that was in front of them and still pretend. (laughs) And so it's not even, you know, it's just like the classic, like blanket over the shoulders. It's like Superman. Like this is what kids were doing a hundred years ago (laughs) that, you know, that simple blanket or blankie over the shoulders, they could be anyone, they could be anything. And so don't think that, you know, your kids need tons of different outfits to act out and have these role play. I mean, they might need some prompting and a little encouragement from you if you're, you know, cutting down on those dress up clothes, but it's really, it's really cool to see your kids. Kids are just designed to use their imagination and, you know, the clutter just inhibits that in so many ways. That's very true. Well, it was wonderful having you on today. Um, and these are really great tips and I'm going to remind everyone again, uh, where to find Katie uh, at in, on Instagram at Katie Joy Wells. You can find her on Facebook at The Maximized Minimalist and also her website at katiejoywells.com. Awesome. Well, thank you, Katie, for coming on and go see Katie on her podcast, her website, Facebook, Facebook and Instagram. Awesome. Thanks, Erin, for having me. It was, it was so fun. You're welcome. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.